This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff, and I am your host, Karina Pereira. Hello everyone, on this episode I chat with Diana Pingisha about her sapphic novel A Curse of Roses, about Portuguese legends and mythology, and about the Portuguese reading market. Have a listen. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> we were just talking in Portuguese and now we're going to switch to English, so I hope it's not too weird. <laughs> Watch us forget how basic English works. Yes, yes. I, I always like, I'm always switching between languages and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, I do forget some things in Portuguese and in English and sometimes I can't know the word in any any language anymore. <laughs> Then it's the thing that does the thing that you yeah. take to that specific thing yes like when people ask me when i say oh i can't remember it in english oh just say it in portuguese maybe maybe it will be close enough that we will understand yeah i can't i can't remember in, in english anymore or portuguese anymore so <laughs> never mind that <laughs> google has help where you now when you don't know you just go on google and it's like this word. i look for this <laughs> um i would like i mean i Know you already, but uh, I would like you uh, to introduce yourself to us. Uh, who is Diana? Oh, I called you Diana, and now you're English as well. <laughs> Diana. That that <laughs> happens to me. I say my my name is Diana, but when I'm talking in English, like oh yeah, I'm Diana. Yeah. So see, you got kind of got to switch. Just your everything. brain switches. <laughs> same when you're reading foreign names, and your brain yes. reads it in Portuguese, and then it's not the same. Yeah, and then you hear the name, and it's like oh, I thought it was pronounced a different way. <laughs> yep. I, so, Maisie, Maisie was a name I was pronouncing wrong for a long time. How are you pronouncing it? Maisie. Maisie, yeah. Makes, <laughs> In makes Portuguese, because the A is ah. Yeah, makes sense. Maisie. Anyway, hi, I'm <laughs> Diana slash Diana, however you want to call me. <laughs> And I am a graduate in computer engineering who turned to writing and is now writing full time, mostly. And I write mostly young adult fantasy and science fiction, but I dabble in all other things. And I also paint on the side sometimes. I live with my two cats and my bearded dragon, who, as it is winter, is currently like giving up on life <laughs> and brumating. Like, that's the way I'm quitting life to become a bearded dragon who just sleeps through the winter. But yeah, especially with this weather. Although, to be honest, I I do prefer this weather. I kind of die during the summer because it's so hot. So I would be like the opposite, I think. I prefer summer because then I get to wear all the dresses. Oh, okay. It's not Fair as comfortable enough. as winter. I haven't quite found tights that will keep yeah. me warm. No, yeah, that's true. Because you always need the tights in the in the winter. <laughs> I changed my wardrobe. Like I, got, I develop a pants allergy. So oh I'm just yeah, like skirts all the time. I I get it. I get that because it's also so difficult to find comfortable pants when they fit your hips. They don't fit yeah. the rest. No, exactly. It's just so complicated to be a woman. I have a friend who's really <laughs> tall, and her problem is the opposite. She can't find pants that are long enough because people think women cannot be over like five six. And so she's, she's five ten. She's got to buy them from ten. here. <laughs> from she, it's been a nightmare in Portugal. She's from the US, it's been a nightmare in Portugal. Yeah. How did you now I want to know how how did you go from your from becoming a writer when when your degree is so in different? Engineering. Yeah. So I went to computer engineering because I wanted to work in video games, which I did until Brexit screwed us. 
because our um, company was based in the UK and we were doing a community uh, projects funded by the European community. Mm-hmm. And then Brexit happened. So there goes no your funding. <laughs> but that was a really, it was, I really enjoyed that job. We did a couple of games that won awards for it was wow. educational games. It wasn't a commercial game. But you can say the names if, if, I mean, if it's a... I mean, they were like, one was like the child witness interview for the police. That's like their names. You can't download them because they're specifically for okay. training. Yeah, okay. We were hired by the police in the UK to make a game that would help their um, policemen have the very basics when it came, comes to interviewing a child witness. Okay. Witness the crime. And that was really interesting to work in, but alas, Brexit screwed me. But I always, I went to computer engineering because I wanted to work in video games, namely in writing mm-hmm. video games. And yeah. I thought the easiest way was going through the engineering route, which of course we're not going to talk about the state of video games, especially if you're a woman. So, but my, I love my job, but I spent most of my college years like in lectures, not paying attention and said I was just writing. Yeah. The story is it's what I like to do to amuse myself sometimes, just write. And I, on a whim, it was for a portfolio um, subject in college because we did that. And I did proficiency in English, which my parents were like, yeah, sure, do it. Don't you dare finish it with a bad grade because we know your English is good. So I did. And when I was doing that, my teacher there was an Irish guy named Harry, uh, read some of my short stories for class. And he was like, well, you should just write books. I'm like, write books? No, not going to do that. But then as I was sitting in class doing nano that year, I was like, yeah, no, maybe, maybe he is right. So ever since then, I was like 22, 21. Ever since then, I've been writing books, both as a therapy and that's, you know, a job. And uh, your first published uh, novel is A Curse of Roses. What is it about? I want, uh, I want you to tell us what it's about. So A Curse of Roses is a sapphic retelling of the Miracle of Roses legend, the Portuguese variant, because there are several, as I've okay. come to find out. Oh, really? There's the Hungarian one, which I mentioned briefly in the book mm-hmm. uh, by Erzibeth of Elizabeth of Hungary, that's the Anglicized, Anglicized, Anglicized version? Anglicized, I think. Anglicized, okay. So that's the Anglicized version. But yeah, she was Isabel of Aragon's great, great aunt. So I thought, oh, that's just, it runs in the family. Okay, I see. (laughs) And then there's the Spanish one. And I know there are some in South America. With the same, pretty much the same legend. Pretty much all of them are named Isabel. But do they also have like? Do they also it's about, all about like a legend a... about flowers and bread. Okay, wow. There are plenty. There are a lot of them. See, I thought we were original. We were not. We were not. <laughs> we stole it from uh, Hungary first, and then because everyone else stole it. I remember work. talking about your book with uh, someone uh, at work. I, I forget now who it was, and uh, um, I was telling about the legend, and then the person thought that actually might have been with my boyfriend now that I think about it. And then the person, like he thought, um, oh, those are were actually real people. Because he thought the whole legend, including the people in the legend, were made up. But the people were actually real. 
Yeah, we just we really like our saints with roses and bread. Do you want to tell the legend, That's... like for people who haven't read the book and uh, and don't know the okay, legend? Okay, so like according as the legend goes, we had uh, Queen Isabel of Aragon who married King Denis, or in the old spelling, King Denis, like as in the Denis, Denis, Denis of Portugal. And he was a bit of a miser who thought charity was not how you went about helping people who... Sounds like a libertarian to me. <laughs> kind <laughs> of. He was, he was very forward for the time, but he still had some backwards ideas, still mm -hmm. for the time. And Isabel was very charitable. She was also always raised in that whole Catholic, uh, you need to help other people. It's your duty as princess, holy princess of the kingdom, etc. And but Denise was against it. So what can a girl do but sneak outside in the morning or night and leave bread for the people because they were starving. And that if you're from Alentejo, you know that a loaf of bread can go a long way. Namely with soups. Yes. We have a lot of yeah. soups involving bread and migas. And so there she was delivering bread to the needy when Denise finds her and he asks her, what do you take? What Because she brought the bread in her skirts. So what do you carry in your skirts? And she was like, uh, well, I can't say bread because then he'll be mad. So, uh, roses, my lord. <laughs> and he was like, roses? It's not rose weather, woman. Like, what are you saying? Show me. And she was like, oops, okay, well, God will help, please. I'm doing your work. And she dropped the skirts and instead of bread, lo and behold, it is roses that fell to the ground. And Denise knew she was lying about it because he was no dummy. Yeah, but I and mean. So he, he looked at it and he was like, well, guess it must be a miracle then. <laughs> and God must really want her to help people. So. Or to lie to me. <laughs> guess that's fine now. I mean, God's obviously on your side, Isabel. It's okay. And that was it. Yeah, it's very curious when you, like I said, I was reading the book and you grow up with this legend. I think everybody in Portugal knows it. In yeah, Portugal I think everyone it. does. Yeah, and and you're just like, oh, okay. Like, it's so nice to see it in a book. Um, where did the idea of rewriting a Portuguese legend uh, came from? Oh, did you so always knew is... you wanted to write about it? Or how did the idea start to take uh, form in your head? I had thought about it like using Portuguese mythology in books, because we see so much of other mythologies, but never ours. Mm -hmm. And when we do, it's like this one book where it's terrible. And it's like an American doing it. Mm -hmm. And they just, they don't get certain things about being Portuguese and about our culture. Uh, I was between books at the time. Uh, my other book was still on submission, but it was just not selling. And so I needed to write another one. And I was looking at the market and what was coming out in the next couple of years, because that's how you should look at the market. It's not by what's coming out now, because publishing takes so long. You want to look at what's yeah. coming in the next two years, because that's going to be when your, if your book is book published, is, yeah. it will be two years from now, maybe. Sometimes it's three. It's a, a long timeline. And I was looking at it, it's like, well, retellings are... Picking up huge, <laughs> yeah, they're really huge. And I thought, 
Well, I don't want to do a Cinderella. I don't want to do Beauty and the Beast because that's what everyone else is doing. Then I thought about what can I do that's unique to me. And Strumoz, it's huge about around the Rainha Santa Isabel. Uh, and I was like, well, I grew up with that legend. I'm yeah. sure I can adapt it. And that's how it started. I was like, I'm going to do a retelling of the Miracle of Roses. I'm sure <laughs> I can find like a lot of stuff to do. So then I started research. And the more research I did, the more I just realized Isabel was not straight. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, you I can know have nothing a... about that. I know absolutely. Like, the only thing I know, I don't even know, like, the queen and the king that well. The only thing I know is really, and I know them from, is from the legend. Because, like, we probably got taught in school uh, about them, but, you know, just fleetingly. You don't go deep into their lives. And I haven't really I knew more anything. about them. Because Stramoz, uh, I think Dinesh, he didn't build a castle, but he restored it. Yeah, so it was. And they were very big. There. Yeah, that's also where Isabel died. Okay. And they yeah. spent a lot of time there. So it's huge in my hometown. There are statues yeah. of her. My school is named after her. Oh, wow. My high school was named okay. after her. And you even have like restaurants called It's Roses. Oh, wow. Okay. São Rosas. Unfortunately, yeah. São Rosas has clothes, which is a shame. Because oh. the food was great. But the, the chef is now in another place making empadas and they're very oh, good. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've, I've gone to her restaurant, her new one since. So I always knew that. But as I was doing more research, because I knew what we, also what we were taught in school, but it's very superficial. Yeah. And I come to realize that what you learn in school is a very, uh, not superficial, doctor version. Mm-hmm. Of how sorry you went. It's to make us look good. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Maybe you can tell me because I, my memory from my childhood is very bad, and but I do remember us learning about Sappho, right in school. We we actually yeah. get taught some poems. I do not remember being told. Maybe I I'm not sure because, like I said, my memory isn't that good. But um, I don't remember if we were told that she was a woman. But I know definitely we were not told that her poems were written to other women. That I right? So can you imagine the shock? Exactly. But like, like when you like later in life, when you kind of realize why things are called sapphic, and then oh yeah, Sappho. But I learned Sappho. about her. But I wait a minute, I learned about her, but huh? <laughs> no, realize, they don't tell yeah. you. No, there's like no, no, not even an, a, a small idea, a hint, or anything at all. And like I said, I'm not even sure I knew she was a woman. Or yeah, that I thought that was Sappho, a woman. And you see Sappho, and if you're yeah. Portuguese, you go masculine because it ends with an O. Yeah, exactly. So I was o. thinking, did I know it was a woman? I don't think I did. But uh, yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, anyway, there I was researching Isabel, and I looked at her life, and she was always very devout. After Dinesh died, she just went to a convent. Mm -hmm. And we all know what was up in convents from the dawn of time, because that's where all the lesbians went to be left alone. That was true. Clever. And well. I also noticed that Isabel was very much okay with him sleeping around. Mm -hmm. She raised all his bastards, or the ones she knew about, as her own. Like yeah. She educated them and all of that. And she had exactly two children with him and stopped after the boy. It's like, Meaning, I've done, he, you know what? I've done yeah, my Yeah, I've done it. I've done my boy. duty. Don't bother me again. <laughs> Go and sleep I with other the, women. The Meninas Dodivelas, the song, 
yeah. is about him, about where she goes, just go see them. And it's an apocryphal story, but I 100% believe it. She was just like, no, I already had this go. Yeah. Stick that now somewhere leave else. me alone. <laughs> I am here doing my running off the country and my lands. And he actually, he really liked her. He thought she would make a great king if she'd been born a man. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were very good friends. Well, that's... Like, even through his poems, you can tell that. I honestly really loved that twist. For me, it was a twist because I obviously, like I said, I did not know a lot about them. But you are kind of used to have like that relationship, right? Like a couple relationship, man and woman. And I really, truly loved what you did with their relationship. I don't want to yeah. give any spoilers. Yeah. So I won't. That was my... Because during research, I was just like, they sound like they were more like really good friends yeah. who got married in the way people got married back then. If you were noble, it was arranged. Yeah. yeah. But it's also but in a they... sense like, you know, let's just make this easier for both of us. We can yeah. work together and just without anyone getting hurt. And And it was, I really loved it. And they, they worked well together because they were a really good ruling couple that we had. <laughs> they did um, a lot for our local, like, internal economy. Yeah. And yeah, she was just, she did build hospitals for sick prostitutes. That wow. was a really cool thing. Like, she really did do that. And I do think she was just like, these women, they're just prostituting themselves because really, what choice do they have? Like, these times are hard. Times are hard. How can you blame them? Yeah. So, Let's I mean, just make sure they like do it safely. Yeah. Or as safely as medieval medicine yeah. can let it be. Because <laughs> it was, um, they really believed that to cure smallpox, which they called the red plague back then. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's you what I did not know. Yeah, that's why it was smallpox. I, thought, I actually thought, did uh, Diana just, just create a, a plague no. that does not exist? Because I never heard of the right plate. Right yeah, plate. it was what they called smallpox. Because okay. it did make you red. And they okay. did believe oh, that yeah. you just hung red cloths by the windows and doors. And the red from the cloth would draw it out from your face and heal you. Okay. Medieval that, medicine. That Amazing. sounds like something that would be believable at the time. <laughs> they believed in a lot of weird, weird stuff. That's why you decided, like, because it is such a, a legend that... that it's you know it's so known in Istermos and um yep. that's and why I'm I decided that this one and I'm gonna make it lesbian because I know they would hate it. Yes. Oh yeah. That's they would hate it. <laughs> um yeah, and then like you picked up that legend and you made it sapphic. Did it worry you that people, especially in Portugal, because it's curious because like I said, sometimes online you create a bubble. And this is not, in, in the bubble that I feel that I am online, a sapphic retelling would not be anything extreme or, or even out. Actually, it's something that people would want. But did it worry you that maybe people in Portugal might not see a sapphic retelling, especially from a Portuguese legend and so well-known uh, with good eyes? Or do you think the reading market in Portugal is slightly changing? I mean, it is changing. That it's definitely changing. There's more room for queer books now. And there are readers. There are definitely readers. Like There's no doubt about that. But it's about being afraid. Uh, my parents are still very uncomfortable about the book, and we don't talk about it. Did, did they read it? 
Uh, no, but they read the intro. They know <laughs> what it is about. Because they don't read English that well. Mm-hmm. My mom doesn't, period. Yeah. My dad can speak and write it, but not like... To read a book, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, It's a lot more work, obviously. Than... But it was just like, uh, my. it was my cousin who's just like, oh, no, they are uncomfortable. They just won't tell you to your face. <laughs> like, so they've been talking. Okay, so how many family members do I need to do? I need to wait to die so I can come out to all of you. It's just like, like just publishing, um, like to be as extreme as possible. I wouldn't call it extreme because this is very common things in my point of view, but not to our family, right? So it's like just just do the most outrageous thing that you might think. But yeah, I, you know, when I was conceptualizing the book, I did initially think about yeah, I could make it just a love story between Isabel and Dinesh. But the more I read about them, they were just like, they're not no. in love. Yeah. That was just not happening. And I really wanted Enchanted Motors. Yeah. Because I think they are very, we don't talk about them enough. Mm-hmm. We do talk about them in Noventejo because we have a lot of the local legends, but not uh, in the whole country. Yeah, not so I really wanted to make Enchanted Murders. And also I wanted to rewrite the Enchanted Murders stories because almost all of them fall in love with this dude. In fact, in Salukia slash Fatian's case, it was not a Portuguese knight, but in others it is. And they all die of heartbreak of when he gets found out and is killed. And I was just like, no, like, why? Yeah, it's always, it's like a little bit like the 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 death ballads. We're in the American yeah. folk and stuff. Like, women always die. Jesus. No. Just, it was the one in Sintra, because I went to Sintra uh, last weekend. Yeah. And I was telling my friend Jalu about the Sintra one, which was like, she took um, a thing of water. See, the thing you use, the yeah. thing made of clay you used to carry water. I also don't name, know I can't the name. Right I now. just know the name in Portuguese. Mamfura. <laughs> oh, I would say Canteiro. Cantaro, same Cantaro. Right? Well, yeah, but I don't know in English. Yeah, she was like gathering water and she found a dying Portuguese knight. And this Moorish princess uh, nurses him back to health, except they're found out. And then he's killed and she dies of heartbreak. And I was just like, why? Couldn't she just be helping the poor dude survive? Why does she have to fall in love? It's also a curious thing because now it reminded me of something that I remember my father telling me many years ago. Like I was still living in Portugal. But there were a lot of stories of women who, like, for example, um, they had a a fiancé or something and they would die for, or they went like to war or whatever. And then they would just not marry or date ever again. And they would just be heartbroken. Some of them would die of the heartbreak. And I remember my father telling me... It's what? the saudade. Yeah. And like, you know, and the loneliness because you can only apparently love one person in your life uh, forever, even when they very often are horrible to you, which they were. Like, if you think men are bad nowadays, I mean, uh, anyway. But I remember my father telling me, oh, nobody dies of heartbreak anymore these days. And I was like, and it's that a bad thing? How is that a bad thing? And he meant in yep. the sense of like, you know, people don't commit the same way. That's a good thing. I mean, it's it a is a good thing, <laughs> especially women. Women are my grandma them. when because my grandfather died when she was relatively still young. Yeah. Oh, but it doesn't. She was like a, she was 
50, but no, the rest uh, until now, like yeah. 20 years later, she's still like in her black clothes. Yes, exactly. His wardrobe never... is still untouched. Their bedroom is untouched. And yeah. I'm just like, why? But like, I also think that a lot of women who kind of like um, start to, try to start a new life are not seen with good eyes very often. They're like, whoa. No, then you're like, moving on too fast. Remember, even though it's been 20 years, yes. you're still moving on too fast. Uh, you need to was, honor. Like I was talking to my mom on the phone and there was like this lady who went to one of those morning programs that we have in Portugal, which are terrible. Mm. And the lady was telling a story about her husband. And then now she had another boyfriend. And my mom said, I was feeling very sad for her. But then I, I found out that her husband died only two years ago. And she's already with another man. I was like, what do you Why want? Shouldn't to, what, she? Why shouldn't she? You don't even know. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, but that's that's the mentality. It's like, no, no it's the whole um, mourn them for like 10 years. That's <laughs> uh, the word I wanted to get. It's not fetishizing, but we love the soldade. Yeah, and we romanticizing think that it's better. Even. It's better to be sad. Yeah. And you need to greet sadness like an old friend. Yeah, that's like what it is. That's what makes you a, a like a certain type of per person that is kind of looked upon, and it's the same way that sometimes society in general looks at mothers oh she's a warrior she gave up everything for her kids like there is not as good as you think it sounds like that's no yeah no we shouldn't aim for that <laughs> as a society nope. but yeah it's just um so yeah i can imagine that uh, the talking do, do people still like did your family ask you about the book and um like when they knew that you had pu published they know about the book and yeah. they talk, oh, yeah, our daughter wrote a book. They just don't say about, about what. Yeah, okay. So they. Oh, yeah, it's a retelling of the Miracle Verses, but because everyone they know will not read in English, yeah. they can just talk about it. And oh, no yeah. one's going to read it. So no one's going to find out that their daughter wrote a lesbian book. Okay, very well. I um... remember the first conversation I had with my mom about that because she works at a hotel. And one of her co workers is actually one of my former classmates slash hockey teammates. <laughs> and my hockey teammate did tell her the book is lesbians. And then in another conversation, like my mom, oh, I was talking about your book because Isabel Stillwell went to the hotel she was staying at. And I was like, did you tell her it was lesbians? And she was like, yes, I've been told it's lesbians. And then there's the conversation is over. <laughs> it just ends. <laughs> it just, ends, it just ends right there. Um, speaking of which, why did you decide to write it in English? Can you imagine seeing this book published in Portugal, in Portuguese? I wish. If I had written it in Portuguese, it would be in my drawer. I mean, it could be self-published. Yes, of course, but, but I mean. I find that I do not have the disposition or temperament to handle like self-publishing. Yeah, it's it a lot requires of a lot of market, marketing. It is a lot of, of work. people, in a sense. It is a, it is a yeah. lot of work, like. It's not a nilitist thing. It's just, it's a lot of work. I, I would do it, but I know myself <laughs> and I know I would not do well with yeah. so much depending on me. Yeah. I need someone externally like telling no, me, you need to turn this that. in by this day and <laughs> we're going to do the cover and everything else. You just sit there and write. Yeah. Because I'm just... But that's a personal thing. If you don't yeah, have deadlines, I, maybe you don't. You, it's you never terrible finish, for right? me. Yeah. I actually do need deadlines to function, but that has to do with ADHD and mm -hmm. you know the brain. But I do need deadlines to function. So having my own deadlines is 
terrible. not a good way to do things. <laughs> I've been trying to write a short story and I gave myself a one week deadline and it's been a month. Yeah, because I keep we, rewriting it. We since I don't have a, if, since if, I don't have a hard deadline to turn it in, <laughs> I just keep reworking it. Because nobody's waiting for you. It's just yourself. Right? Exactly. It's the worst. <laughs> like, no, it would really work better if I rewrote the beginning. Then I just let's write again. Doing that. <laughs> I've always written in English since yeah. my fanfic years that started when I was 14. And okay. I was terrible at it. But it just kept happening. And most of my friends were actually English readers. So that's also how I got my feedback from yeah, paper course. readers. So writing in Portuguese would just be counterintuitive at that Do, point. So you find it easier for you to write in English than to write in Portuguese in some way? I do. I have an odd relationship also with Portuguese in that it sends me to a bad place because of all the bullying I had in high school. So I associate oh. writing and speaking in Portuguese with being ridiculed. Okay. Whereas yeah. I never had that with English. <laughs> it was always kind of a safe, safe space for me. Yep. So I always express myself better in English too nowadays because Portuguese, you know, it's a very, um, it's very yours as well. Like speaking your native language feels so much more yeah, personal it's very and not heavy. It's the sounds too. It's very yeah. closed kind of. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, but I do think it, I don't know if it happens with most people who speak English rather than their native language, but I do find it's easier for me to, um, express myself in English. In Portuguese, I get more embarrassed by my own language. I think it's because right? our it's just how Portuguese is. It makes everything sound so much more serious and, and so ridiculous. It's so easy to be ridiculous. If you look at the songs, for example, like even, even Brazilian Portuguese can make a song that the lyrics are kind of yep. like ridiculous, fun. In Portuguese, it doesn't work. Either I think you know it's the, the phonetics. Poetry. Yeah, either you know the poetry of Brazilian... the language. Yeah, I will get my European Portuguese card revoked, but I really admit that I think that phonetically Brazilian Portuguese sounds much better than ours. It sounds nicer to the And it's the much ear. less yeah. depressing. Yes. Like, even when they if you swear sing in, in Brazilian Portuguese, like even the most depressing song still has a little bit of a lift to it. Yeah. Whereas in Portuguese from Portugal, it's just father when it's depressing. Yeah, but the, the, it is. It's, it's very curious. Uh, I don't know why exactly, but uh, I do remember like um, translating, I think it was some Shakira songs from Spanish to Portuguese at some point and thinking like this would not work at all in Portuguese. This would sound ridiculous. It's phonetics. Yeah. I think it's phonetics. Yeah. But also, have you ever tried reading an erotica book in Portuguese. Actually, no. It's so cringe. Jacqueline oh Carey, I love Cushiel's Dart. It's one of my favorite books. I try, I tried to read some of it in Portuguese at the bookstore. Is there I a translation? The translation, it up. was terrible. It made Jacqueline's Carey writing, which is wonderfully complex. And um, it's not purple prose in English. Yeah. It is purple prose in Portuguese. It's just, I don't know. It's I think so strange. And but I, um, I do think yeah, that uh, like texts and like I said, in poetry and music in Portuguese to be good, they really have to like the, the, the words have to be very carefully chosen. Like I love Fernand so exactly because of that. He's one of the few people that makes some European Portuguese yeah. poetry sound really good. Like, I like a lot of, of um, Portuguese writers, but it's very easy in Portuguese to just do a terrible job. 
with writing. Yeah, it is. You know, like, I don't know. I like, I think Afonso Cruz is a great writer. I've never read him, actually. Contemporary Portuguese writer. I do. He's a good, really good. Uh, Carla M. Soares, I think, is also really good. Mm -hmm. because they, we do have them, but no, it's harder. No. No, it, it, and it's um, something that I wanted to talk also. Um, because, but first, I want to ask you, like, how was the publishing process? Before I go into it, has to do with publishing, <laughs> but it's uh... a mess. Oh, <laughs> it was a very unusual um, process because I had an agent. My I had an agent, and she told me, like, do this, do a Curse of Roses because it's really unique. So yeah, I'm gonna do this, even though. After like when I got halfway, I got the 40k curse. When you get to 40,000 words, you hate yeah. the book and you want to do something else. <laughs> but she convinced me to stay on A Curse of Roses. And uh, I got, I was almost to the end, but I just couldn't get it finished. So I applied for workshops where you needed the full manuscript. Okay. And I got into highlights and uh, I was mentored by Laura Ruby. And she was also, well, I'm going to need your book finished by this date. Guess what happened? Now I really need to finish the book. <laughs> now I have an actual deadline. Yeah. So I did, and I did the workshop, and it was great. I highly recommend highlights, especially because they gave me a scholarship that let me go for free, basically. Wow, that's nice. So I went there, and I came back, revised my book. My previous agent went, well, I think this is adult fantasy, which I no longer represent. And because it was slightly different from the version that ended up being published. Dinesh yeah. had his, he, Denise and Isabel had their original age difference, 10 years. Oh, how, uh, yeah, because you talk about that. Uh, I forgot yeah. in the book. She was very young though, still she, in the they book. Were, they were engaged when she was 10. He was 20. But, yeah. So oh, they had a big, that was normal for the time. No, of part of I the mean, book was also criticizing. It happens nowadays and more, nowadays and more. Yep. I mean, that's true, but wow, okay. Part of that version criticized <laughs> that a lot in that you marry girls at 10 and then treat them like children, even though you give them the responsibilities of an adult. Yeah. Because medieval teens were not teens. They were fully No, I mean, adults. my mom started working with just... 10 years old. I mean, she finished fourth class. I mean, uh, grade all are like... Not my dad, but my aunt, my dad's sister, only mm -hmm. has the sixth grade in well, education. My, my entire mom's family, I think every, every, my mom has like 10, no, wait, eight brothers. I think in total, they are eight uh, brothers and sisters. And every single one, none of them has studied longer than like fourth class. And fourth class in Portugal is basically from six to like 10. It's fourth so grade, it's four yeah. years, it's fourth grade. And, and, and then they started working with 10 years old and they yep. had to walk to the city. So like seven kilometers or whatever walk. Yep. Um, Good and old then times. They, yeah, and they would wasn't it wonderful? What amazing! When life was under, like that uh, under, like later on under Salazar's, um, I mean, dictatorship and yeah. everything it was wonderful. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I mean, yeah, sure, like, we all starved. Like, because my family was from Alentejo, that's where yeah. a lot of it came from, and they yeah. starved. Oh yeah, my mom too. Like my mom used to tell me so often that like they had one sardine for four kids. Yeah. And if they were yep. lucky, sometimes for Christmas, they would have like one chestnut or something. But they were also very proud in the sense that there were people who were very rich. And I remember my mom telling me that someone wanted to give her uh, apples. But my grandmother was very proud. So I was like, no, like we are poor, but we are not 
asking for things. So you are we not going to accept it. We get a lot of um, poor shaming kind yeah. of in Portugal. In that you have that mentality that you don't have a lot and so you cannot accept help either. Yep. Meanwhile, rich people have no problem taking more no, no. stuff. But, but it's just, that's uh, the poor people's mentality. And I found that pe poor people do not like accepting charity, even yeah. though they're the ones who need it the most. Yes, it's true. And But I, I thought it was so ridiculous at the time also because it's like, they ask they didn't ask for anything like the lady literally wanted to give it to my mom but it's like yeah. no we don't need it thank you so much we'll, we'll sometimes you do... have a lot of apples yeah like we'll make do with what we have it's like what the heck are you talking about so yeah what's uh... yeah so a lot of the stuff that happened back then was just what were we talking about what was the question uh about the pub publishing process oh yeah the publishing <laughs> process so yeah so then my agent she um said she couldn't wrap it and she was like well but i can like send you some other people because i think this is adult and i was like i can't see why because i write in that were no you, man's land between were you young... aiming for young adult i was oh okay i was always aiming for young adult but my writing is in that no man's land Mm -hmm. between young adult and adult which should have would... been new adult yeah i think they would call it, it the never new took off because new adult just became like a college romance subgenre because no one would do new adult fantasy or new adult sci-fi or whatever. But that I do think so there weird. was space in the market yeah. for it. Because sometimes, known. like you do find, for example, um, I was thinking, I always thought, and I because think sometimes... Six of Crows is a good example. Six of Crows is not a YA book. Those it's characters not, yeah. are do not act like 17-year-olds. I'm sorry. I love I the book. Right it, but like... But it you is a... Uh, uh, you got like one last uh, one last stop, for example. Oh yeah, that's also I think crossover. Because crossover it's... is when it's like YA, but it could also read as adult. Yeah, Saving because it by is. Courtney Summers is another one. Because uh, one last stop, I thought it was young adult, young adult, and I think it was due it to is. the cover. It's not. It's not it, published no. by Young Adult Imprint. I don't know, but like the author has already said that it is not young adult. And I remember listening, I was listening to the book on my way to work. And oh I was no, like, it's, I'm sorry, I'm confusing yeah. it with Last Night at the Telegraph Club. Oh, that I, I don't know that one. No, the that Last one. Night at the Telegraph Club is by Melinda Lowe and it is young adult. Mm -hmm. One last stop is Casey McQuinston and yes, yes, it is adult. Both her yeah. books. Uh, red, white, and royal blue is also adult. But, but that's the thing. The covers and but because you... it's written by a woman. Yeah, but 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 like you read the story and you think, okay, this is obviously adult because there are really explicit scenes here. But on the other hand, everyone in the book is in their twenties. It's it's what would have been new adult if publishing had known what to do with it. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't give my mom even if it wasn't sapphic and all the thing like uh, that book because I think my mom would like more mature stories like with people who already have like things figured out you know in a sense yeah, and yeah. people finding themselves out which I really like so I do think there's like a genre they're missing because you either fall publishing to the screwed yeah. it <laughs> like they just they did not know what to do with it and a lot of authors kept saying just do this do that but they were just yeah. look what's selling is college romances like 50 and 50 shades of gray so we'll just keep throwing money and hope it sticks and then it didn't stick and they were like oops Okay. <laughs> if you've been like noticing like publishing trends for as long as I have, you know that like this happens like every five years or so or every 10 years. There's like it happens. It's but but did you circle then, of life? But did you then decide to okay, then this is I'm gonna market it as adult. Yeah. 
Because that's what it I is. I was just like, I'm just going to query it as adult to the uh, agents that rap adult. And I'm going to do upper YA to agents who rap YA. It was all over the place. <laughs> and I did um, Pit Mad on Twitter. Got oh, yeah. a ton of requests. No one wanted to rap the book. Oh, wow. Apparently no one knew what to do with it. And someone said my writing was overly descriptive. No, Which was I, a fun a fun thing to call my writing because in the publisher's marketplace review they complain about not having enough description. So I'm like, which I is it? I don't think it was over description descriptive. I don't usually like books that are over descriptive. I think I'm still because we've all been traumatized by Yeah, yeah, we've all been traumatized by Essa. Traumatized by the man who describes everything, but um, it's a Portuguese thing. <laughs> but I it know, is. I no. think that's part of why we don't overly describe. We've been traumatized by Essa yeah. Kirosh taking six pages in a living room. A room. Just shut up, man. We all hate it so much. But yeah, I was just like, I'm just gonna do the way the character would see it. Mm-hmm. And the things the character would notice, which is not a lot. No, when I, I walk into a room, no. I don't notice a lot of things. No, but like I, I, I didn't think it was too the over descriptive. But did yeah, you? So I was querying, and then it was just not happening. And then one of my editors at Entangled reached out and said, "You know, just sub. At worst, you're getting a critique. Best, you'll get an offer of publication." Mm-hmm. And then I submitted. Like, you know what? Let's try it. Just let's try it anyway, because I'm not self-publishing, because I'm not, I don't have enough confidence or work ethic to self-publish. And so I submitted to them and then I had the offer of publication, but I got the contract and it was like, what legally is hell is this? Oh yeah, because of of course it's not a contract that says you're gonna publish yep. the book and you get this. It's yeah, and it's a lot of work and words. A friend gave me a referral to their agent, mm-hmm. who then took me on and negotiated the contract for me. And then that was it. I was gonna get published, and they were gonna do it in print. Yay! Yay. <laughs> but yeah, and that a was cover. And the hard, but that's not my publisher who decides; it's the distributor. So oh, I got okay. lucky, Macmillan wanted it as hardback otherwise it's it would get pretty. just a uh, softback yeah okay because it's very pretty uh, as well like the dust jacket is very beautiful but also the inside it's blue with the, the silver um, yeah i i call it my blue girl <laughs> it's it my is blue really girl. pretty and this is a question that i know you get a lot and is it if you have any plans to publish it in portuguese and here i mean what can I do? No one wants yeah. to buy the rights. So. What's been, what's like, have you submitted it to publishers in Portugal? I haven't submitted it because I don't own the, the rights. I, I mean, I don't own them. I mean, this should be returning to me soon. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I have um, a sub agent for that. So mm-hmm. she's the one who submits to publishers. And I know she did. Oh, she, she submitted to publishers in Portugal. For a translation, yes. yeah. Yes, and in Germany and etc. But the book did not do all that well to be picked up in Germany. Uh, it still sold way more than I thought it would. I thought it would sell like 500 copies, but it did much better than that. <laughs> Enough for Entangle to make bank, but not me. <laughs> anyway, we. Um, I was just. I went around the book fair mm-hmm. with my book in hand. And people in the publishing houses were just not. It's because the only one who would 
talked to me said, oh, yeah, you wrote this one because that's the fashion now, a mother. The fashion? What's that? Why yeah, would it's you... the fad. It's the yeah. fad now to write about lesbians. And I'm just like. Maybe it's not a fad. If it's Maybe the fad, just... then why don't you buy it and publish it? <laughs> exactly. Because that's the thing. If it was a fad, it would sell. And right? they were doing that as they were like selling out Heartstopper. But we oh. all know MM sells much me- much better than FF because people are people hate yeah. lesbians in general. Just so terrible. But, but also... yeah, no plans about Portuguese are just the Portuguese world doesn't want me. So bother because them. there is also a problem with, with fantasy in Portugal in the sense that publishers just think oh there isn't well written fantasy and therefore it doesn't sell. The fact that the guy who said that used his own traditional publisher to publish his own book. But he also he also said there were only men, right? There were only Yeah, there are only, only three Portuguese science fiction and fantasy authors who are not talking ripoffs and they're all these three old men. And he includes himself in that, which is the greatest thing. It, like he actually includes himself in one of the yeah, people I just, writing like, Oh fantasy. yeah, because all the books we have are token ripoffs, and so we don't publish them. But look, I wrote this uh, Sherlock Holmes meets Lovecraft book that we are publishing, and I was just like, "That's easy." Then I just <laughs> found my own publishing, publishing company yeah. and use it to publish my own books. It's like vanity, but a step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also uh, to have the conditions to do that. I mean, there are a lot of people who are basically. They're basically self-publishers because I remember at the time I had like a blog in Portuguese where I used to write. I mean, you talk about um, Chiado. Chiado is yes, a scam. Because Chiado is a scam. You pay, and but not like... It's not just Chiado. I remember there was like another No, there are many. Publisher, I have a list. But especially Chiado. Like I was specifically talking about the, that publisher. Um, and I've told this to people like American and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. You're going to publish, like you're going to pay to deliver your book to someone so they can publish your book, but it's not self-published. You should um, see the amount of Shiado authors who take a lot of offense when we say they're being exploited. But they are. How can you write a story and have to pay 2,000 euros to publish a book? And then 2,000, that's being generous. It's that's usually 3,000. That, okay, that's what I heard. It depends on the size of the book, literally. Okay. And they do not do the ed- edition. There's no, no edition. They you do if pay you pay extra. extra. Like yeah. how, how, and then honestly, like I, at some point I used to work for this uh, magazine, no work, it was volunteer. I used to write for this um, magazine called Blogazine. It was an online digital uh, magazine. And um, we got this because I got an email from Chiado asking me if I wanted to review books because there was something I did <laughs> on my blog. And I said, yeah, sure. And it got to a point in which I honestly told the person that was like editing the magazine, like, I don't want to do this anymore because they are sending me books and it's their books with so many mistakes. And some of them are so badly written that I cannot go through the book and write a review. Like I have to make shit up <laughs> because yeah, I, look, I just, we could I do a whole episode on Chiado authors who are institutionalized and the in flat out denial and like i don't blame them like boo you yes, were caught it happens i don't blame you i blame shiado for taking advantage advantage of people no no of course definitely obviously like, because people think okay i'm gonna pay this they're gonna give me some books yeah. so i can sell to the my one friends. i talked to was like 
she was 16 at the time. Oh, no, that, I mean, unless she has, a, you know, her parents It was like the parents it. gave it as like a birthday gift or something. That's a lot of money. No. It's it also a, depends on the size. If it's a smaller book, you can pay just a thousand. Oh, okay. Still, they, I mean, they change it. it's, it's a long like time. A, <laughs> it's just, you know, like, I'm sorry, but writing is work. I'm not going to pay to work. That's just exactly. counterintuitive. And not just that. A Love lot of people... yourselves. Believe in your work. And also people here, they don't, they think you write your first book and it's a masterpiece and it's published. No, yeah. sometimes you need to write another book and another book and another book and keep working on your craft. And not just that, you need to have an editor because a lot of, I used to think like that as well. I used to think, okay, but if, if you have your book edited by someone, then you're not the one writing the book. Like you either are able to publish the book as is oh, or you're not a writer. A... Like, excuse me. And then you kind we got of into a fight with the Shiado author about that and that she believed that people who used editors were just lazy like hello, and didn't want to do the work themselves. You cannot look at your own book at a distance. Like it's it's, and it's about like improving. the editor points out stuff, but you're yeah. still the one writing. writing that yeah. stuff into it. And surprise, you can say no to an editor's notes if you really don't agree with it. Yeah, obviously. But it, it happened it, with me, like there was stuff I pushed back against, and we talked about it. And it I want to keep fine. it. Yeah. yeah. No, but that, that's the curious thing. I, I do think like in general in Portugal we have that idea, but it's also uh, I've heard of a lot of people who actually paid and they were um they were uh, promised a lot of marketing stuff that then didn't happen, including having their books on known like FNAC is maybe one of the it's like our Amazon basically in Portugal. And yeah. uh, they were supposed to have their books there for a long time, and they were not. They were not available for like, sale Welcome there. to my world. Fnac so, says oh, my book does not exist in physical format. Well, it, I got your... The first time I ordered your book through my indie bookstore here in the Netherlands, it got cancelled. But then I ordered it again, just, and like three months later, the book came in. <laughs> it was just... I mean, we did have... Publishing in general was having a hard time with uh, shipping. Yeah. But, but also the, the, the it's was, still I, happening yeah. like a friend of mine had her book release pushed a whole week because they could not print it in time because everything's so backed up but that, that's because of the chain issue like the, the supply it's the chain, chain issues issue. it's like beyond. there is no supply we can't print if we don't have paper or we're gonna but have no to you do... can't get my book in portuguese bookstores and that just sends but... me to a whole another level of just being there that's not true. Phobia. <laughs> yeah, because especially because like they have deliverers uh, from from of English books. So if I they found the do... book at Fnac with the same distributor. There you go. In hardback, yeah. the American edition, and that was just like so. You can get this one, but you can't get mine. Hmm. It's Sabotage. Just so, I just find it. It's such a shame, honestly. Such a pity that like we have this legend. Like I told you, I, I I told you this and I mean it. I really enjoy the book. I like the writing, but also like the story. You have this legend that it's ours. Like it's not just ours, apparently, but, but that we know as ours because this is our queen and king. I should you... get together with a bunch of other authors who are from countries where they do have a legend like that. Yeah. We all just do like our own short story yeah. on it. <laughs> like an anthology no but it, it just it just really baffles me that nobody 
fix it up. And it, it really saddens me that the, the, the society in general in Portugal is still so close-minded that these things don't really... Like, don't you have 500 bucks for the rights? Like, I but don't apparently know. not for me, they don't. But, the, well, in one side, I guess, they do have a point in which, oh, this will not sell. And it, How do they know, It would sell, but the Everything... Is, so the, I don't believe in books that... I don't believe in the this will not sell. I believe mm -hmm. that it's more of like we don't know how to sell this. No, of course, but because, because enough, there are people want to read this, obviously. There's like a niche for everyone, and niche markets are quite uh, profitable. Yeah. Even if it's not niche, I don't think it's necessarily niche to just have a sapphic story. I mean, straight stories are not niche. Why are sapphics or why would you waste like? A retelling of a Portuguese legend, but like I said, I do think it is because a lot of the people working in publishing. No, Port in Portugal in general, publishing does not know how to market books. Period. But, but also, a lot period. of the people working there, they're just white, old, straight people. So they look at society. Uh, the idea that they have of our society is like, no, this is too forward, and this like new ideas, like you say, it's fashion. It's a fact. Also, I'm pretty sure if I'd written it under like uh, Deanna Smith, hmm. people would be like, oh, yeah, this person is totally a native speaker instead of, you know, nitpicking me yeah. for stuff that is in native English speakers' books. Yeah. And then it's poetic for them. But for mm -hmm. me, it's just this person is using the dictionary to write because she uses the word Cesaris. Is it? But you're Which, if talking... you're Portuguese, it's sussurro. Like, but you're also... It comes naturally to me. Yeah, yeah but you're also, like, you're writing about a legend that is native to your country. You are obviously it's going also... to, 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 to have... There are certain words that you probably are going to have to look for if you don't know them before. Also, there are a lot of words I could not use because yeah. I didn't want it to read modern. That's yeah, another okay. thing people read me for, like, oh my god, this is like the writing is this way they speak is so weird and etc. Because it's medieval. Yeah. I know how to write regular contemporary speech. I just didn't want to because it yeah. was the 13th century and people did speak slightly different. But uh, yeah, like you said, if a lot of people got the book and didn't know that the author was Portuguese, wouldn't notice those things. And because they know the author is Portuguese, they they kind of like go. But in I think direction. a lot of the critics that I've gotten was just people not understanding either the context, the historical context, even though it says 1288. <laughs> yeah. And why is it so based on religion? And I was just like, Hello? have you looked at society, at medieval European society back then? They live for that shit. But even nowadays, Portugal, Portugal is yeah. quite religious. Come on. Like, even nowadays, Portugal is quite religious. But back then, we lived for it. Yeah, it no, obviously. Just, everyone went to church, like, mom, if not every weekend, every day. My grandmother went every day to church with my mom. Now my mom goes every weekend. But, like, also, my mom still has that thing that if you if there's Christmas or Easter, you have yeah. to go on the day of Easter or Christmas, but also the other another day. So one is for Christmas and the other counts for you. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? So she used so to. Do like that. a lot of the critiques was yeah. just historical context. Like, what do you want me to do? And <laughs> Isabel, Isabel herself, she was like the nicest, saintliest person, and she was also ultra religious. Which, believe me or not, I was just like, oh my god, 
nut job? No, but I how mean, do I write around her nut jobiness when it comes to Christianity? Yeah. Well, no, and but how do I make her understand? Well, so but, and, yeah. and still is so important, I think, to so many people in Portugal. Like I said, my mom is in her 60s, but there are a lot of younger people who still you know, like people, I think most people. In I had a lot of Catholic, younger Catholic people who said yeah. it helped them a lot. No, because because like you still have people who baptize their kids, even when they don't usually go to church. It's like a thing that it's so ingrained in society that it's almost like a ritual, even though it's attached no. to church. But people don't I really was think. Baptized, oh, which so I would not have I? been if I had had the choice. But, but I think I was one year old, so exactly zero choice in that. Listen, I even went to, I don't know how to say this in English, but it's oh my like, god, the first charisma. communion, the solemn communion. Yeah, I did the first communion, second communion, and then like when I was 18, I did the oh, other yeah, thing. you did the other one. I, I did, did not the get other that far. One that we, we get that when we want to become godmothers or godparents, like god yeah, I became an atheist earlier. And no, no, <laughs> so I just... didn't know. I, I had to go to church every uh, weekend until I was 21. My mom made Jesus. me go to church. And then I actually met a boyfriend who was from another town. So I would either go to church or meet him. And then my mom was more uh, lenient about it. So she started to allow me not to go to church. And as soon as I kind of found myself free, then I started thinking, but I was still religion until I think until I was like 26. I still had some belief and then I started saying oh I'm agnostic but like theist because I still believe in God I um, find people believing in it it's just don't impose your beliefs on other people it's just no, no it's of fine. course I believe but, but, like some people take comfort in the spiritualism but like, like I don't think I'm gonna have kids nowadays but if I had kids I would not nowadays I would not baptize them but back in the day like I said when I was 26 it, yeah. it wouldn't even cross my mind to not baptize my kids but they also got a lot more controlling with it uh when when I was baptized my godmother was Muslim and they were fine with it really she was a family member yeah there you go and they didn't require like the the charisma and all of that yeah it was just yeah. a family member or a close friend and they were fine with it yeah, it's just like, but no, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, in my family, at least I'm I'm from a very small uh, village even. And, yeah, uh, I mean, whole... most of my parents are from like teeny tiny town. Yeah. So and that it's... was raised in Stromoj, which is not a huge city. It's a small city. Yeah, so it's, it's everyone basically, knows everyone. you know, you just go, yeah, and then you go to church and it's, you're just religious. That's, that's how, like when I- Your grandfather mom... then, your grandfather then, it's like instead of a Netflix plan, your grandfather then too. Catholicism and all that guilt in the entails. Oh yeah, and everything. That's I have Portugal for you. That everything is also very much around sex, and that's why people are so naughty in the sense that every single joke that you make or every single thing that you you say can be turned into a sexual joke. And I think that's it's... what she said. Exactly. See. <laughs> and I... And I think it is because of the whole the whole repression and everything like virginity and everything is so very religious and everything is a sin. It's like the, the Simpsons, you go to the toilet and, and you're already committing a sin. Yep. Although my and, parents were surprisingly liberal, I was born out of wedlock. I went to the wedding. Oh, wow. And I remember being 15 and then just being like, I don't remember what the context was, but some celebrity was like doing a virginity pledge. And my dad was just like, Bass, no one marries without test driving it. Oh. Well, I, was like, I was like, well, you are proof of it. Yeah, there you go. I was one year old at their wedding. There you go. But a lot of people rushed to marry because they got pregnant. I mean, but 
like um it's curious because my mom told me there's a lot of stories that my mom told me when i was already like just a couple of years ago that i was like damn i thought you were a saint that you were like this very very it's always the quiet ones and my mom wasn't of course like like some of my aunts that i heard about but they are all they all have this they impose these ideas on you that you're supposed to do a certain kind of thing and then but then then you find out the stories and you're like damn i should have dated more as my as my dad says do what I say, not what I do. What I do, exactly. Yeah. They love that. <laughs> yep. Especially when you say, Oh, I can't do that, but you did it. Yeah, well. <laughs> yep. Um, so well, still in the same uh in the same line, what are your goals with writing a curse of roses? What would you ideally like to achieve with it? I mean, it's pretty much just done now. I mean, I got it out, people have read it. That's good enough for me. Peak moment was me at the Lisbon Book Fair and being recognized by random people, not once, but twice. I threw a party like, oh my God, do you want stickers? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, see, publishing, I found my readers. There you go. But yeah, it's still, it's a bit hard to like your book releases and then people forget about it just me being like that's why i'm not online much nowadays it just gets me depressed about it. i don't know i just kind of have a feeling that uh there could be um at the right time that there could be kind of like a awakening for that book i don't know but that, I mean, that's maybe, maybe a, lot of, I feel. a lot of books like find more people like years later which is fine i just need to keep on writing until eventually another book gets bigger people find the curse of roses again (laughs) i don't know like i said i really i really liked it so i just find it very strange it's a very quiet book too i mean it's not like a big epic journey but it's so interesting though fighting evil it's it's a it's a quiet book but i don't know about people finding happiness in their own terms but it's very specific so yeah, I, I still have that. Uh, well, okay, so that that's that's I think what I think the the book should achieve. I think it should find a lot more readers, especially like of course fantasy readers and stuff. Because um, yeah, I don't hear it much on the. I mean, all I ever want is for people to go to my hometown specifically because of my book, there you go. and then ask that's about the goal. it, and okay. then everyone just goes like, "No, we don't talk about the lesbians." Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like, it's like sorry. You're talking about why are they all like saying what book? What book? No, no, like because I've had a friend do that. He found my book, he's American. He found my book, and then we were in my hometown, and he just asked people about it randomly. Do you know about this book? And they were like, No, well, it's in it's the other the authors from this hometown. Wait, Pingisha, (laughs) I know her dad. Do they know about the book? Because it's um, a very uncommon name. It's my family. Yeah, I actually, I actually didn't know it was your actual name. I must admit, until like I... Sophia, which is someone we both know, told me that that's like that's yeah. actually you can say the name because it's her last name, her actual last name. Because I yeah. was like, oh, we still have to wait for Diana, but I think uh, uh, I don't know if there were more Dianas in the. A room, lot of people but... think it's my just nickname online. I nickname, thought it was a nickname. And it yeah. is because I got it before everyone else did in my family what do you mean because there are the pingishas online but i'm the one who just took the at pingisha 
Ah, and now they all need to yeah. be initial being geisha. Yeah. yeah. So you got the... like, I got here first. I'm, <laughs> you got I'm the a real child one. of the internet. <laughs> but no, there's like 90 people with my name and they're all family. Oh, I was wow. bullied for it. But then eventually I decided to reclaim it. Yeah. Because it's just so unique. It's like a Benedict Cumberbatch. He wasn't going to use his name. And then someone he wasn't? said, no, he was using his, um, the same um, family name that his father uses. I don't, I don't remember now anymore which one it was. But then someone actually found out, wait a minute, you're an agent. Your, your name is Cumberbatch. You have to use that, man. Like, it's, you have to. It's so uncommon. You have to. And yeah, for my did. books on Portuguese legends and that, I will keep being Isha. Unless publishing makes me change it, because sometimes if your book doesn't do well enough, you need to debut again under a different name. No, no. Yes, no that sure. happens. That happens, yeah. Um, then I'll be, I don't know, Diana Duarte, my other last name. It could be, but I don't know. Like I said, it's such, yeah, such an uncommon name. I think it could work in your favor. Or I just go David Penguin. David Penguin. <laughs> David Penguin. How do you mean David Penguin? Because then I'm a man. Oh. A white man with a, an anglicized last name. I see. Or just a pinguinha. No, pinga. <laughs> yeah, a pinga. Yeah, that's uh, that's liquor for us. Yep. Are there any other Portuguese legends or mythology, history that you would like to that you would like to approach in a similar manner in other novels in the future or that you are already? Oh, approaching? yeah, I was I've been reading biographies on Leonor Tellish for a while now because I love her. Like She was done so dirty by history, like completely. She was a very competent ruler. Mm -hmm. And just because she didn't want to marry a man and have to deal with another king, like Don Juan the first wanted mm -hmm. to marry her during the dynastic crisis. But she said, I'm already queen. I shouldn't need to marry a man. I'm queen regent. Shouldn't need to marry a man to keep my power. And that backfired on her. Oh. Because that's when, like, the she had to flee to Castella. Okay. Uh, they I'm killed very bad her in lover. History. I'm really bad in history. It's the Battle of Al-Jbarata. It's during that. Yeah. that uh, yeah. So I would like to do Leonor Tellish mixed with the al battle. Okay. And so I like the Padre you... de al legend as well. Oh, she is like, yeah. She's a She's massive gay, really massive gay energy. <laughs> she does though. <laughs> like we just we all assume like she just has like killing Castilians with a paddle, like a baker's paddle. The baker's like the bread paddle. What the heck? It's like the dream. Yep. That is the dream. Or I just like get them toasty in the oven. Get the bread and then for those who don't know, it was during a battle between Portugal and Castela, where Castela was trying to take our kingdom seat because. The king was married to the late king's Portuguese king's daughter, and their son, aka King Fernando's grandson, was supposed to inherit the Portuguese throne. But Portuguese people did not uh, were afraid that Leonor Tellish, who was king queen regent at the time, would just give them to Castela, which she would not. She was definitely not doing that. But you know, she was a woman, and she was beautiful and ambitious. And also accused it. of killing Fernando, even though he died of pneumonia. Oh, boy. So Did she was know? vilified. And then at the time, there was this decisive battle in Aljbarrota, where the Castilians had 10 times the size of our army. I don't know but exactly, we knew, but yeah, we were We knew done. the terrain really well. <laughs> yeah. 
And so we managed to drive them back with basically no casualties. And at the end, some Castilian um, soldiers were retreating and they decided to hide in this baker's house in the oven. And British, her name was British, supposedly. I'm going to call her Vilante, but the baker of Alsbachata, after she was outside, you know, uh, doing her guerrilla tactics because she did organize a woman's only guerrilla to defend their houses from the Castilians. She came home and she found like this half a dozen Spaniards in the oven. And so she just went smack. Yeah, as she smack, should. Smack, smack, smack. <laughs> That's should. what happened. That is one of our legends. I, that would I be so it. cool. I mean, it would be super cool. Um, yeah, in my version, I was trying to make her and Leonor meet as teenagers. Oh, okay. So they would be friends already. Uh... They would be friends slash lesbians. <laughs> but then they would have a falling out because Leonor was so ambitious. Yeah. And British. And John I, like, I just want to make my whatever. bread, man. Listen, like bread is so yep. nice. I just want to. Actually, she was supposed she wanted to go become a soldier, but women couldn't. Except okay. you find some legends where there were women warriors and they were revered. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to find a way to do both, like incorporate, incorporate them. And are you, are you working on that? Because I, I have like, I'm doing what both. are you working on? I'm so many. I'm now working on the short story for that anthology that I'm trying to put together. Because mm -hmm. I need one short story for the sample and I'm not going to ask anyone else to write for free. But again, since publishing is kind of grounded to a halt right now and no one's mm -hmm. really reading, we're going to have to wait until January 1st to go on submission anyway. But I'm like, I, I've accidentally written a novella while doing the Ooh. short story. Well. So it was like, it had Tajidus and the Adamastor. And now I'm just like, well, the part of the Adamastor, it's going to be a novella, basically. So now I'm just going to write a short story about Saudade. And it was going well, almost done, except now I want to do it from another point of view. Like, okay. Like, screw you, Diana. Do you have a deadline? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be good mm -hmm. and have it ready so we can submit by in the new year when it starts. Yeah. Because then it's like, no, nothing's happening in publishing right now. No one's reading. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, how it just stops. At the end of the Sometimes. year. <laughs> end of the and year and Thanksgiving in the US. Yeah, people are just making lists now for next year. <laughs> but yeah, so I want to do the Leonard Teller's retelling and I also want to do uh, YA fantasy but with some mental illness representation mm -hmm. about music too, because I studied music for some years. So I want to do that, like music power magic. Very well. Maybe. Fine. And then I don't know, I want to do a lot. I want to do a cosmic horror based on the bone chapels that we have. Oh, you know, yeah. The Bone Chapel yeah, in Evra, yeah. which is terrifying. I've been there, yes. I want to do a whole city that's based on that. And they used oh. like the ancient bones to make magic. Like, that would be super cool because that chapel is amazing. I mean, terrifying, of course. It is a doozy. I, I love it. It's, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I've been, I've been fascinated by it since I was six years old. <laughs> wow. I just walk in and the whole thing made of bones is amazing. I'm surprised it's still standing. Why? To be honest. Because bones are not very hardy, but they're all very well kept. Yeah, I think it's well taken care of. But yeah, but the, it's just super cool. 
yeah, so we'll see. I, my problem is not lack of ideas. It's just productivity, <laughs> especially with, you know, isolation and quarantine. My, yeah. It's like, and I talked to this with other friends who are authors. Our brains have lost half their brain power. It's very complicated this. to work from home. Yeah. Because we used to be like, before this all started, we'll just do 3K on a regular day. And now it's like pulling teeth for some reason. Like the very same thing I did before is just that much harder in stupid quarantine. So any author who had to write a book during quarantine because contracts and all, I'm just like, you have a pass if it sucks because I don't know how anyone could keep their brain alive. There's no, there's no break. Like everything. The news, the fact that you can't go anywhere to focus, the fact that, you know, your workplace is your home where you relax. Think the brain is just like working? Yep. No, let's get relax. You're home. <laughs> I've, uh, I mean, not during the quarantine, quarantine part, but I've been just going to the garden to sit on a bench so I can just write on my notebook or cell phone there. Yeah. Because then I'm yeah. not home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's like really productive days when I do that. <laughs> Except now it's getting cold, so now I can't. That's less, less, yeah. Now it's less um, nice <laughs> to be out. Where can people find you online? You can find me online. I mean, I'm mostly on Twitter because I can just do my verbal diarrhea and close the tab, which is how I do Twitter mostly. I rarely just sit there and scroll. I just open Very the tab, wise. see what's up, say something, and then just bloop close tab if someone interacts i interact back but so i'm at pingisha p-i-n-g-y-c-h-a on twitter and instagram tumblr if you still use that though my tumblr is eh. it's mostly just reposts from cat photos on instagram that's a great great content actually yeah actually (laughs) my instagram it's mostly just cat pictures and lizards pictures so not Great so much content. just writing. I'm just like, look, I need to put the picture. I'm not going to put my face because I'm always having bad eyebrow days on account of the picking thing. So I'm just like, I'm going to put another photo of my cats. One of whom is just like looking at me oh. right now. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Oh, super cute. The, my little My little spoon. <laughs> When you met, when you texted me, he was spooning me in bed. Oh, that is super sweet. They're the best. A uh, tabby, tabby cats are the sweetest. It's like mine. And mine you, is also. If you have a tabby ginger, you've hit the jackpot in terms of the sweet dummy ever, sweetest dummies ever. Wow, because my mine is like tortoise, tortoise shell color, um, like brown and with the spots of black and stuff. But yeah, I have a tortie. Yeah, she is very um, independent, but when she cuddles, she really cuddles to you, and you yeah, know she wants. My other, my other cat, the Persian sushi. She's a torty, a smoky torty, because she also has the brown and the white and the gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's also she's a very independent diva. But when she wants to cuddle, she's the best cuddler. And then you know that's like, oh, she really wants it because she doesn't. She really usual. wants it. She just comes to me, <laughs> stretches her little paw looks at me with those big 
slightly cross eyes, <laughs> slightly crossed eyes, and then I know, and you pick her up and she purrs. Oh, it's the best. Cuts are that one, that Jubas you can pick up, he's way too heavy. Also, he panics. <laughs> so, now, this is the last question of the podcast, the most difficult question. An all-time favorite book and a book you would recommend right now? I mean, I always say anything by Juliet Marillier. My favorite book refers to Son of Shadows, the second one in the Seven Waters trilogy. So read Daughter of the Forest, but then read the much superior. Daughter of the Forest is still amazing, but Son of the Shadows is what I think the perfect book. And a book I would recommend right now, oh my God, uh, The Reckless Kind by Carly yep. Heath. It just came out. I actually interviewed her. Interviewed like Carly, she, oh my God. She was, she was the person I interviewed before you. Oh my God, that is so funny. We were each other's critique <laughs> partners. So she read The Curse of Roses and had really good notes for it. Mm -hmm. So she helped me with the middle of the book a lot. Yeah. And I read The Reckless Kind, which at the time, well, The Reckless Kind, which at the time was The Heathens of Muscox Hollow. Oh, wow. And we were like, we had our, new, we needed to find new agents at the same time because her agent left the business. And my agent just like, I can't prep this. <laughs> and we were like, so yeah, I love her book so much. That's and so I curious, think every, yeah. Everyone should read it. Yeah, oh my God, that is so, so she's, funny. Yeah, she's going to be in the <laughs> she's gonna be in the same season. And I don't know if she kind of found me because she contacted me. Uh, and I don't know if she kind of found me through you or not. But like, I saw you talking about The Reckless Kind, I think when it came out. And I was like, wow, like, okay Diana knows this person like they follow yep. each other it's so funny you know I'm, I'm just oh interviewing my God, both small, of them small world <laughs> but yeah anything by Carly I have her latest draft in my Kindle and it's again her writing is just phenomenal she it, has a very um, I told her that the reckless kind uh, gave me a lot of the feelings of a knight's tale you hmm. know friends horse like this race uh, yes. trying to get something and yeah. I mean, I heard her, her writing just has this um, otherworldly quality to it. And it's very clean. Like she does not waste words. It's, it's amazing, but also queer platonic triad. Yeah. And, and uh, disability representation, which you don't yep. find very Asexual often. representation, yep. which you also do yep. not rarely find. So it's really fun. Well, um, um, she's going to be very happy with this uh, uh, book you should read right now. Recommendation for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, just because it just came out. And I was yeah. like, everyone read it. I demand this. <laughs> uh, yeah. A book that's come out the year prior. Yeah. I also recommend The Last Confection of Autumn Gasserly by Meredith no. Tate. I did not know that one. No, but I will leave, I will leave um, everything. A thriller. Okay, I love the missing thrillers, girl actually. thriller. Okay, it's I loved it too. I'm gonna leave the suggestions and actually the links um, to your um, social media and everything on the show's notes so people can find it more easily. I hope this also makes people get interested in Portuguese story and mythology because I think it's very fun. Um, a lot of it too. We have a lot of it because we're such yeah. an old country. We believe so many things as well. We have so many superstitions and beliefs and, and you know, like with magic and curses and spirits and... Yeah, I'm just, I have 
I got this picture book about Portuguese mythological creatures and it had mm -hmm. to be a picture book because I couldn't find anything else. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. So like, But, you, yeah, you can't even find like a, an actual... You can't find like... Because that's another thing I want to do. I want to do an adult book with um, like smaller short stories based mm -hmm. on uh, Portuguese monsters. Oh yeah, look at that. Based on like different... Our werewolves are insane. I'm sorry. Wow. It's just the hands. Yeah, because there was uh -huh. someone the other day on Twitter saying like the part of Europe that is uh, vampires and part of Europe that is werewolves and Portugal We're werewolves. is definitely werewolves. We're werewolves, yeah. <laughs> but I want to do that. So it's like, a, it has a, an overarching story, but in the middle, involved in the story is like different Portuguese mythological creatures. So each one of them has their own short. Kind yeah. of like what the Hazelwood did but with Portuguese mythology. So, gotta wait for it. <laughs> yeah, when I eventually stop writing. Diana, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. And for bringing your cat. <laughs> yeah, Jubita is just like, meow. Thank you <laughs> for your small but very, very important participation. I'm in the cat. <laughs> <laughs> You can access today's show's notes via my pod page, which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash Karina Pereira. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting A Story of Sorts on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content, such as early access to episodes, a shout-out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash a story of sorts. Leaving a review would also be highly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification when the next episode hits. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening.